0: Mazina ya leila ya vannya na timbar mazina ya Ya yeah, yeah, nah, yeah, yalida, yeah, yeah, ana, ya leila, ya timbarma, timbarma zina, ya yeah, leila, ya
1: yeah, ana, yeah, timbarma
0: of uh,
1: Tiwongi and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating
5: its international commitments.
2: Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing
6: meeting for marine species in particular.
2: African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. you tuned to Channel Africa? Welcome to our program, African Dialogue. It's great to be back with you in this new week. You're listening to us right here on your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. Well, today it's almost the end of the year, and uh, we always uh, trying to find out where we're going to go for our holiday destinations. And a, a report just has released that Johannesburg is the most popular destination City in Africa, followed by Cape Town. Now, today we'll be asking what makes African cities buzz? What makes African uh, cities a good uh, destination uh, for international uh, visitors and also for us who are Africans? But before that, let's get our news. on Ellen Zinti is standing by.
7: look at your headlines this morning. An explosion drips through a school in northeast Nigeria. Mortal remains of more than 80 South Africans who died during the collapse of a church guest house in Nigeria last month could be brought back home by the end of the week. And the Ebola crisis in West Africa continues to claim lives, despite the international effort led by the United Nations to contain the outbreak. An explosion has ripped through a school in northeast Nigeria this morning as students gathered for morning assembly before classes began. A medic at the Pakistan General Hospital where the victims were taken says scores of students are still being admitted. A local resident, Adamu al Qasim says there is confusion in and around the school, but the scene is a mess of abundant footwear and blood. There is no immediate claim of responsibility for the attack, but Boko Haram militants are likely to be the Prime Suspects. South Africa's minister in the presidency, Jeff Khaddebe, says he is hopeful that mortal remains of more than 80 South Africans who died during the collapse of a church guest house in Nigeria last month will soon be brought home. South Africa's High Commissioner to Nigeria, Lulum Guni, says the process of bringing the remains back is being finalized and the bodies will be brought back by the end of this week. Khadebe left for Nigeria this morning. He says the meeting with Nigerian government officials is to ascertain the course of the delay to repatriate the remains.
4: Well, I must uh, underscore the point that uh, there is a cooperation between uh, Nigeria and South Africa on this traumatic incident. I think the difficulty at the moment is to make sure that uh, the 81 South Africans are positively identified through fingerprinting as well as uh, DNA samples. That For points. legal issues, uh, we need to be sure that the 81 South Africans are the ones that have been positively identified.
7: Ansar Beit al-Baghdis, a jihadi organization based in the northern part of Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, has pledged alliance to the Islamic State group. The announcement pledging loyalty to Islamic State leader Abdul Bak al-Baghdi came in an audio speech posted last night on the Egyptian militant group's official Twitter account and a militant website. The unknown speaker says the organization has decided to join the Islamic State group whose emergencies resemble a new dawn, raising the banner of monotheism. The organization, whose Arabic name means Champions of Jerusalem, has claimed responsibility for a number of lethal attacks, mainly targeting Egyptian security forces. The Ebola crisis in West Africa continues to claim lives despite the international effort led by the United Nations to contain the outbreak. Almost 5,000 people have died, although the figures could be higher due to unreported cases. In Liberia, the virus is only stretching health facilities to the limit. It's also severely affected by the economy. Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon says the long-term goal is an achievement of zero cases in all countries and getting there will require sustained hard work. Derek Mbata has more.
2: Now is no time for the international community to let its gut down in the fight against the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, according to the United Nations Secretary-General. In an article published in the Washington Post in the United States on Sunday, Ban Ki-moon points out that the rate of new Ebola cases is showing encouraging signs of slowing down in some of the hardest-hit parts of Liberia, Guinea and Sierra Leone. Mr Ban says the full-scale international strategy to attack Ebola through safe burials, treatment facilities and community mobilization is paying dividends.
7: Finally, a United Nations team of investigators has been prevented by authorities in Khartoum from entering Northern Darfur. The team was expected to investigate a lurch, drape and defilement of more than 200 women and girls. So far, the government in Khartoum has not explained why it prevented the UN team from entering the region. James Shimanyula reports.
0: The United Nations spokesman Stefane Dujaric has confirmed that the UN-African Union mission team of investigators has been turned back at a checkpoint as it tried to enter a small village of Tabit in northern Darfur to investigate rape and defilement of more than 200 women and girls. Now Dujaric wants Khartoum to grant the UN-AU mission team an official permission to enter Darfur.
7: And recapping on your top stories, an explosion drips to a school in northeast Nigeria this morning. Mortal remains of more than 80 South Africans who died during the collapse of a church guest house in Nigeria last month could be brought back home by the end of the week. And the Ebola crisis in West Africa continues to claim lives despite the international effort led by the United Nations to contain the outbreak. Channel Africa News.
2: Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. And, while well, today we're looking at uh, uh, the fact that uh, Johannesburg is the most popular destination in Africa, followed by Cape Town. Now, uh, Johannesburg is now, for the second year in a row, the second most popular destination city in uh, Africa. This is according to the MasterCard Global Destinations. Cities Index, which highlights that more than 4 million international overnight visitors were expected in 2014. Now, today on the program, we're not going to just focus on this particular index itself, but we want to ask the question, really, what makes African cities attractive as a holiday destination and how well uh, is uh, tourism... uh, doing on the continent. On the line we have Loris Tate who's a publisher and editor of Johannesburg In Your Pocket joining us from uh, South Africa as well. We have uh, Kachi Dongo who's the managing manager at the regional tourism organization of uh, Southern Africa. Now Loris tell us a little bit more about uh, uh, your project In Your Pocket City Guard. What's that all about?
1: Thanks Benjamin. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, I launched Johannesburg In Your Pocket in February. It's a printed city guide, which also obviously has an online guide, um, and it's actually an international, it's a European brand called um, called In Your Pocket, which actually covers 100 cities, and I brought the franchise to Johannesburg.
2: And uh, since you started it out, how has it been going? Are you getting that support? And uh, we'll come back to this index. But tell us a little bit about your experiences covering the various elements of uh, Johannesburg and the places to go. How has that experience been for you?
1: You know, there's so many aspects to it. I think Johannesburg is really coming into its own um, and recognizing its value as a, as a tourist city, which is very new for the city. Um, I think because it was, you know, South Africa during apartheid, we missed the kind of the boom of international travel when it happened in the 70s and people were adventurous and they wanted to go to new cities. So we missed that and we were closed off to those possibilities. And it's only really once apartheid ended that South Africa opened up to the world and that people had an interest to come here. And I think the, the, the kind of people who came and the reasons they came have also changed dramatically. So I think to come only for south africa's history that's no longer the emphasis it's especially mm. johannesburg is really a modern african city it's a cosmopolitan mix i don't think there's any other city on the continent that can claim to have as much of diversity as this city has in every you know in every part of its cityness
2: yeah, definitely. I agree with you there, that multi-diversity that we're seeing here on uh, in Johannesburg itself. But let's move on to Kachi Dongo. We'll come back to you, Loris in terms of those dynamics that you've just highlighted. Kachi Dongo is the managing or the marketing manager, rather, at uh, the Regional Tourism Organization of uh, Southern Africa. Now, looking at uh, this uh, particular uh, idea that uh, uh, we have this attraction in the Southern Hemisphere, how well are we doing, Kachi, in in our region.
4: Good morning, and good morning to your listeners. Just uh, one minor correction. The name is Kwachi. K W A C H I.
2: All right, fantastic. And the Great.
4: He uh, is marketing and communications director for the Regional Tourism Organisation of Southern Africa. Thank
2: you for that correction.
4: Right. Yeah. Um, now we can go back to the. Question.
2: Well, the question was basically asking you, Kwachi, uh, about uh, the issue of how well are we doing in uh, the southern region in terms of our tourism?
4: I think uh, if you look across the continent, the southern region uh, commands about 50% of the total tourism arrivals of the region. Africa as a whole is not doing that great. The numbers are very small in term, compared to the global arrivals, but... In comparison to the different sub-regions on the continent, Southern Africa is the leading destination uh, for quite a number of reasons. The diversity, infrastructure, development, and capacity, and, and tourism is the backbone of most of the Southern Africa economies. Um, so looking at our natural attractions and uh, the facilities and resources that we have in the region, the region is doing fairly well compared to the rest of the subcontinent.
2: And in terms of uh, the reasons why people are coming into this particular part of uh, Africa, what are the main reasons, as we heard there from Lloris, it, it seems like things are, sh- are shifting, especially for Johannesburg itself. It's not just a historical reference, but there's also uh, different reasons why people are now coming into different parts of the continent. What are the trends there that you see, in Kwachi I, th- I think the,
4: the, the, the first one I will look at is, As we know, Africa generally is doing well in terms of economic development and growth, and there is a lot of attraction of investment coming into the continent from the rest of the world, both Asia, America, and Europe. Now, what naturally happens is when you get business travelers flocking into a particular area, that place automatically generates increase in leisure travel and family travel and all sorts of travel for the simple reason. When they've come, they've invested, or they've come, they like the place, they invest. Um, so that, that is one of the major major reasons why we are doing well. Africa is attracting huge amount of investment, and then when people come, they see what we've got to offer. Uh, it, it makes them come back, and they go and tell the story, African story. That encourages a lot of people to come back. On the other side, if you look at the natural attractions from Cape Town to, for instance, Angola, you have things like the beaches, you have the the, the game, which is the wildlife, you have the wine, you have the golf, you have a lot of attractions that uh, the regions endow with, which unfortunately other parts of Africa don't really have. So looking at the diversity, the heritage, the culture, and, and the variety of attractions combined with the level of infrastructure development across the region, uh, it, it helps to basically for the region to attract a lot more tourists. As you say, Johannesburg has been rated as uh, one of the best cities, Cape Town, coming second. In addition to that, you got cities that are doing well, uh, if, if you look at places like Lusaka, it's coming up nicely. Even Habarone in Botswana is doing nicely well, and there are a couple of other, other, other cities across the region. I would say within the 15 countries that we have, almost all the cities are doing except one or two. So this this is a very good reason for us to attract a lot of tourists, Uh, both business and leisure travelers across the world into the region.
2: Well, let me come back to you, Loris, in terms of how Johannesburg is shifting and changing in terms of its uh, uh, attraction. I've noticed uh, I was living in Cape Town for three years and uh, coming back to Johannesburg last year, there was a lot of change in terms of uh, the lifestyle aspects of Johannesburg. You see a lot of uh, precincts that have been established in various parts of the CBD. The city is changing, isn't it?
1: The city's changing hugely, and I must say it's a challenge even for us to keep tracking it. Um, there's a burgeoning street life that I think was never really here before that you would see in kind of the urban centers. And there's also there's the rise of a whole lot of new neighborhoods like Maiboneng, Bromfontein. New town's just got itself a huge, huge investment in terms of a shopping center, new offices, there's going to be new residential accommodation. So I think in each of those places you're also seeing a turnaround in terms of people actually living in those areas, whereas before the city was very much demarcated for business. Um, and I think South Africans, Johannesburgers certainly have a real hunger to be outside. They're so trapped behind very high walls often that it becomes a very exciting prospect to actually leave that behind and be on the street. And I think that sparked, you know, there's, there's kind of a rise of just street culture, street style. There's, a, there's been a lot of interest by international fashion bloggers who've arrived here to look at the style of Joburg's streets, hip-hop culture in Newtown, which I think that's attracted its own huge audience to it. So I think so many different things. Mm, mm. Just coming back to what Kwati was saying about, you know, a lot of it, a lot of the the kind of rise of tourism numbers is definitely about business travelers. And I think Joburg's big challenge is to make the business traveller stay on or to come back Mm. as a leisure traveler. And I think that's starting to shift, whereas people would... Always, you know, I try and avoid Joburg on a trip or fly in and fly out. Yeah. You're starting to get people extending that. And I think in other aspects, also you can't deny the power of the Mandela brand. Yes, yes. And that, you know, the fact that Nelson Mandela, you know, his last, kind of the last period of his life was so much focused on this city. Yeah. But I think that also gave a major boost to the city and to people wanting to come here and have a part of that legacy. Mm.
6: Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think you also bring a lot of uh, issues that are very interesting there in terms of uh, uh, people wanting to actually get out more in Johannesburg and actually finding spaces where they can actually um, uh, call the space they own and not just a place where they just hide behind these high walls because of these security reasons. But when it comes to that issue of uh, how Johannesburg can be stigmatized as this dangerous ghetto place, is that also changing, Loris?
1: I think it is changing and I think Joburg, you know, Joburg is a city and I think all cities have a have an a, like a whiff of danger to them <laughs> if you don't know the city. And uh, a lot of what we did in your pocket is about showing people how to navigate the city because for me, the more information you have, the more a street is mapped, the more you know what attractions there are, the safer you actually feel and the more you're able to actually travel a city and the more you have those people... Traveling the different parts in the city, the safer it becomes. So everything actually adds to that. Mm. So it's actually for me, it's critical that people have insider knowledge of the city. And Joburg can actually often be quite a hard city to know.
6: Mm.
1: So that's our our challenges. In your pocket, we try and put that information out there. Everything from events to what are the new neighborhoods, what's happening in different places. We try and allow people to navigate those.
2: Yeah, and you're highlighting a very interesting element, which I want to take to you, Kwachi, in terms of the way we see the continent, the way we have certain perspectives about our cities, about our uh, resources here. Is that also changing, also from an international perspective? Because sometimes people don't really know what we have here on the continent.
4: I think it's changing hugely, and I'll go back to what I said. Uh, it's attracting a lot of investment. There's a lot of stability across the region. You know, democracy, the level of democracy is increasing in terms of leadership. And, and also with, with, with the discovery of investment opportunity from gold mining to oil, gas, whatever that you can think of, that, that perception is changing. Having said that, there's a lot of work that we need to do. Within the business community, that is changing because a lot of the business community who make a visit to our region have traveled uh, across the world and they've been here a couple of times. They read about the region. They know what is happening. But, but with certain segments of the market, we still need a lot of education because a couple of people still see Africa as, as, as one country. If you look at the map of Africa and you look at the case of Ebola, for instance, I would say that you look at the percentage, it's less than 0.0.0.9%, or 0.1% rather. That has been affected by the region. But it's affecting tourism travel to Africa hugely. If you ask a Johannesburg tourism or South African tour, they will tell you that arrivals have reduced in a lot of countries. But even in West Africa, there are about 18 countries. There are only three of them that have been affected by Ebola. And uh, you know it's it's happening in the U.S., in Spain, and possibly in the U.K., yet Africa is considered as as one country, and everyone is scared that when they come here they will get a bullet. That is a typical
6: case. Mm -hmm. So
4: having said that we are doing well, there's a lot of work that Mm -hmm. we need to do as Africa, for people to know Africa is not one country. Two, there's a lot more that Africa has on offer, which the business community is aware but we as the marketing and communicators and the custodians of the region have to make sure that we keep communicating to change perceptions and enhance the positive perceptions that are
6: currently exist.
2: Well, that's Kwachi Dongo joining us there from the Regional Tourism Organization of Southern Africa. We also have on the line Lloris Tates, the publisher and editor of Johannesburg In Your Pocket City Guide. What are your thoughts? How do you think that we can increase this capacity in terms of uh, attracting more international visitors and also supporting each other as regions in terms of as uh, Africans traveling within Africa? How do we make sure that we actually improve that situation there? SMS us your views on PLUS2 seven eight two three three two five nine zero five That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. I'm looking at some of the ten uh, top cities in the Middle East and Africa, the top destination cities from uh, this uh, particular research called the Mastercard Global Destination Cities Index. Dubai is number one with eleven uh, million uh, visitors, and uh, we also have uh, Riyadh on uh, second place there with uh, more than five million people visiting Johannesburg is number 3 and Adu Dhabi is uh, number 4 and we have Cape Town, Cairo Lagos, Amman, Tel Aviv and Casablanca there uh, tolling at number 10 but when you look at the numbers themselves they're not doing well as uh, the international uh, uh, space whereby we're seeing more more visitors uh, uh, in Europe, we're seeing more visitors in other international spaces but we'll talk about that when we come back on how can we improve uh, this uh, particular Particular trend where we are seeing a growth in this particular sector and in some countries as a Kwachi uh, Dongo highlighted earlier on but we're gonna take a little break we'll be back after this
3: hi I'm Zonke Dikana a South African Afro soul musician songwriter and producer you are listening to channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance. Celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. And you can catch me on adzonke music on Twitter and zonke tigana on Facebook. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance.
2: You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and you're listening to us right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. Today we are looking at uh, this uh, interesting uh, index that has uh, come out, and uh, we're very interested in it. It's uh, titled Mastercard uh, uh, Global Destination Cities Index, which highlights uh, some of the visitors. uh, And looking at uh, the top destinations in uh, the global top 20, Uh, cities. Uh, We're looking at London with 18 million visitors. We're looking at Bangkok with 16 million. And also when we go to the 20th, which is Lima, we're seeing 5 million visitors there. So there's a lot of improvement that we need to see in our visitors and our attractions here in uh, the uh, cities of Johannesburg and uh, Cape Town and other African uh, cities. But uh, how can we improve this, Loris? We can see there's a very huge gap between us and the rest of the world.
1: I think, you know, a lot of it is also is, you know, what you said is actually educating people about the continent and about kind of the diversity of what different countries can offer to a tourist, to a traveler. Um, I think that's important. And I think also, yes, that countries have, you know, Johannesburg as as a city has a lot of work to do as a city to attract more tourists and to ensure you know, that everybody who has an experience of a city walks away with something positive. And I think that's quite challenging when you are dealing with things like, you know, electricity cuts and basic infrastructure challenges. Yeah. Um, So actually all of the issues that affect citizens have a knock-on to our tourist numbers. Mm. So I think, you know, as I say, I think it's it's a job to be taken on by everybody. It's, you know, it's... Because you ever visiting encounters, as I say, they need to get a smile and a welcome and feel that, you know what I mean, that encounter added to the experience of being here. Mm. Now,
2: coming back to you, Kwaj, in terms of that... Uh, uh improvement aspect of it making sure that uh, we improve the elements of uh, how we attract people in i mean when you look at the uh, statistics themselves and you compare them with the international trends we are seeing a gap here what's causing that
4: i think um, as has been alluded to by my colleague. Um, one of the key issues is infrastructure development. As much as we are better than the rest of most parts of Africa, there is still a lot of room for improvement. So general infrastructure, if you look at the public transport system, particularly if you look at South Africa, uh, the municipalities are doing very well, but there is still a lot of opportunity for us to improve in terms of public transportation, for instance. Quality hotels, South Africa has got over-supply. The rest of the region, has a lot of room for improvement in terms of supply. If you look at flight, for instance, uh, if you go to Europe and the U.S., you got a low-cost carrier, which makes travel very, very easy, very cheap, and very reasonable. So it encourages a lot of people to travel within the region, let's say across Europe or within U.S. or in the Americas, whereas here... Uh, traveling from Johannesburg to Cape Town, although we say there are low-cost, low-cost flight and stuff, but it will not cost one less than two thousand technically to fly from here to Cape Town. So, with all these kind of challenges, we have a problem. There is issue of open, open, open sky policy, which allow more airlines to fly into into different countries, but we still lagging behind those kind of areas. So, there is a lot of things that could be done. Uh, a lot of these things will, be, they will be depend on both the private sector contribution and the public sector contribution, what the governments do and what the private sectors do, and how the two can work together to invest in this, some of these areas. Mm. Um, more importantly, we still, I'll go back to what I said, we have to change perceptions out there. And we've got yeah. to enhance the positive perception because... Tourism, although we talk of infrastructure, there is also soft infrastructure which we got, our people, our culture, you know, the weather, the climate, and this can be leverage. So I would say it's based if we have the resources to invest and we can go out there and make noise and market and change perceptions, we'll be able to, to do a lot more in spite of or despite the infrastructure challenges that we face. So I would say it's communication, marketing, communication, and
6: communication.
2: Mm. Well, also, I mean, you work on a regional level and uh, I wanted to know quite in terms of how are the various regions working together in this tourism industry? Are we seeing good collaborations taking place from one region to another region in in, in Africa?
4: Uh, At the moment, there are only two regions that have got a very formal structure or I would say organized structure for collaboration. And that is us in the Sadek region. Where we as RITOS at the Regional Tourism Organization is the tourism agency for the SADC region, making sure that we position and market the region as a single destination. At the same time, we look at issues of capacity building across the region, harmonization of of instruments and policies and stuff like that. As we speak, SADC has got a tourism infrastructure master plan that serves as a framework and a guide for the rest of the member states, or for the member states to be able to improve their infrastructure development. And we run programs across the region to help in terms of skill development and capacity building across the region. Uh, The the other region is the EAC, where at least three of the countries have come together, and that's Rwanda, Kenya, and um, uh, what is the third one? Um, It's Rwanda, Kenya, and Burundi have come together uh, that they've even come out with a common visa between the three countries to allow people to travel easily from one country to the other. So with, within the, the East Africa region and the Southern Africa region, there's a lot of collaboration. Um, I have seen a lot uh, as far as the Northern Africa is concerned and the Central Africa and West Africa. But the West Africa could progress quickly because they got a common passport among the citizens which drive regional tourism and which drive domestic tourism as well. And they've got this kind of, their work. I know they are working on other initiatives to allow their own people to travel. And every country, if you want to increase your arrivals, the first one is the regional, domestic and regional, for the simple reason that if the rest of the world is cut off against, like now, what Ebola is doing, if people will still be able to travel across the region and travel within their country because they understand the dynamics. But we in, in Africa have not managed to encourage domestic and regional travel. And that has been our challenge. The numbers that you spoke about about all those cities, if you look at it, about 60 to 90 percent of those arrivals are regional or domestic arrivals. But we struggle with that for the simple reason that we don't have uh, the we don't have uh, we have not created enabling environment to allow our own people to enjoy the tourism resources and assets that we have in our country. So to answer your question and coming back to that, I think. Collaboration in the Southern African countries is working. There's a lot of multilateral agreement between different countries. And Then collaboration in East Africa is working. And I believe the one that may possibly take us by surprise will be the ECOAS region, uh, where they, they've got a lot of policies and a lot of instruments in place to encourage regional and domestic travel.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I want to come back to you, Loris, in that issue, because we we live in a world that is influenced by globalization with uh, internet and online streaming. There's no way that we can run away from that as a city itself. Do you think we are a bit uh, selfish to ourselves? We should collaborate with countries like Lagos and other African countries whereby there could be potential in those uh, uh, partnerships as cities as well in terms of making sure that we have that uh, open-endedness in attracting people through our various cities. But not only that, but having events that are connected in our various African cities.
1: I think absolutely. I think without doubt, um, Johannesburg is almost... I think, I think South Africa, we, we sometimes suffer from a sense of a kind of entitlement, and as if we're an only child, when we're not, and we're part of a much greater family. And I think that's because we had so much attention showered on us. Um, and this idea that we're so remarkable, which in many ways I think we are, but I do think that there are so many interesting ties to be forged um, with other African cities. And I think, you know, in terms of... You're even starting to see it, like with the Joburg Art Fair, that you are seeing galleries from Lagos, and you are seeing, you know, the start of galleries from other African cities starting to arrive on our kind of cultural doorstep, and I think that's so important,
2: Now I'm going to just uh, wrap it up after this particular break But what's your view in terms of our conversation Hey, we hear that Joburg, Cape Town are two top cities in Africa Uh, What are your views in terms of how your city in your African country Can improve in terms of the numbers How can it attract more people Let us know your thoughts Plus 27823325905 We're going to wrap up this conversation after this break
3: Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And you can catch me on at Zonke Music on Twitter and Zonke Digana on Facebook. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
2: Well, giving us very valuable views is Lloris Tates from the Johannesburg In Your Pocket City Guide. And also we have Kwachi Dongo from the Regional Tourism Organization of Southern Africa. Now, let's wrap up the conversation. Uh, coming to you, Kwachi, in terms of uh, uh, the situation right now, it's looking positive from my end. I see a lot of positivity out of these reports and also seeing some of the trends, Africans traveling within Africa themselves. How do we improve that situation? I think also the key is us, ourselves, Africans uh, actually going to visit other African countries. That's where I would start.
4: Yeah, I think, I think it depends on a couple of things. Um, for us to travel us, you see the, the middle class, depending on how one defines it and which country in, in the region is growing. Even even the, we although they are measured differently and, and the and the the capital income is different, the awareness of travelling within the country, exploring our own region is increasing day by day. And initiatives like what you've just done, you taking the report and analyzing and sharing with people to say that Africa is improving. Help us to move forward, and I hope that the rest of the of the media across the region could take this opportunity and share this uh, this particular report with the rest of the world on how we are doing as Africa. The, the second point is that um, at, at the national level, uh, we have to basically encourage domestic travel, and if you look at the programs of a lot of the national tourism authorities or bodies, most of them have now developed or formulated strategies to grow domestic tourism, which is also positive. And there are always initiatives that are going around that are taking place, rather, in different countries to ensure they grow domestic arrivals. So I believe that we got all things working for us. With the rest of the world looking at us as Africa and what Africa is doing, everyone wanting to invest here, I see that as an opportunity, and the, the results that we have. What we got to do, and I'll go back, is marketing, 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 communication, communication, communication. And with this, I'm sure that we will get to the final destination in the future, or in no distant future.
2: Yeah, Lloris, uh, just coming to you in terms of how we can change that situation in Johannesburg, there's still a lot of work to be done. We're not uh, in our high numbers yet in terms of improving that situation. I mean, I'm a big fan of you. I remember that when you were an editor of uh, Lifestyle at the Sunday Times, you were like uh, one of those people also positioned Johannesburg in that particular um, edition in terms of putting it in, in the spotlight. What more can we do as the media? What more can we do as well as individuals and as government to improve uh, the city of Johannesburg?
1: Well, thanks for that, firstly. But I think the big thing is, like, as media, is that we've got to maintain our curiosity about the city. And I think, you know, often it's very easy to write reflexively and actually not leave your desk <laughs> and report on the city as if it's unchanging and unchanged. Um, and I think the critical thing is to show that, is to show how things are changing, and and I agree with Qati, it's getting that message out, it's getting that information Mm. out, it's communicating, it's telling a story and telling the story of Johannesburg, you know, in a compelling way, which I think is a challenge for everyone.
2: Mm, Definitely. Now, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you to Lorise Tate, the publisher and editor of Johannesburg In Your Pocket City Guide. Tell us a little bit, how do we access that uh, website?
1: The best way is uh, www.johannesburg.inyourpocket.com. And then the other very easy way is to follow us on Facebook. We'll be very active. Just look for Johannesburg In Your Pocket on Facebook.
2: Fantastic. Also, thank you to Kwachi Dongo, who is the Managing Director. I hope I've got this right. Uh, in, the ma- in The Marketing uh, Director. Marketing, <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, he's from the Regional Tourism Organization of Southern Africa. Kwachi, uh, what you brought to this program is very valuable and we, we thank you for that. Let me ask you as well, if we want to see the work of Ritosa, how do we find out
4: more? At dot www.ritosa.co.za
2: Well, thank you both for joining us for this program.
4: You're welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Louise, nice meeting you online.
2: You too. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, That's how we wrap it up, uh, meeting people. Meet online, that's fantastic. That's what we do, create conversations from different parts of our continent and making sure that uh, we create a dialogue on some of these issues on the continent. But let us know your thoughts. What do you think about uh, this issue of Uh, Johannesburg being this uh, uh, number one uh, most visited international uh, visitor's uh, destination. What's your view on that particular? I think uh, we should see other countries like Cairo, other cities like uh, maybe somewhere in Zambia for instance. I think uh, uh, Johannesburg has been dominating for too long indeed. We should actually have a challenge from other African countries where they say, hey, wait a minute. There's potential in our cities as well. Hey, we can do this. Let us know your thoughts. Plus 27823 3325905 that's plus 27823325905 now to take us to uh, our business news we'll have a song by Huma Sikela You are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Yeah, we were highlighting... Sounds there of uh, uh, Johannesburg from Huma And yeah, Johannesburg is the big city. It's the most attractive holiday destination. Uh, It's actually the second row. I think African countries must actually sit down and say, hey, how do we outclass Johannesburg? Hey, there should be this uh, healthy competition, I believe. But the time right now is 11.45. Let's move on to our economics update. Wisani Matabula will give that to us.
5: Thanks, Benjamin. South Africa's Lonmin miners met analysts focused with a $326 million annual pre-tax loss had by a five-month long mining strike. The mine, however, says a review... It recently concluded highlighted opportunities to improve its performance. Along with its peers in South Africa, Lonmin, which is the world's third largest platinum producer, has been battered by labor unrest over wages, rising costs and weaker platinum prices. The London-listed mining company posted a pre-tax loss of $326 million for the year to end September, compared with a profit of $140 million a year earlier and within a range of focus calling for a loss of $257 million to $565 million in a Reuters pool of five analysts. The United States is considering partnering with China on improving electricity in Africa. The proposal could be part of a bilateral discussions when President Barack Obama visits Beijing this weekend. The proposal could include 5 to $7 billion of commitments to improve electricity generation and transmission in several African countries. The 48 countries of sub-Saharan Africa, with a combined population of 800 million people, produce roughly the same amount of power as Spain, a country of just 46 million people. The shortage imposes a massive burden on economies in the continent, constraining growth, and leading to hundreds of millions of people remaining mired in poverty. In South African trade union, NUMSA says it's prepared to talk to other labour movements to form a federation. If it's planned to force trade federation KOSATU to take it back, fail, NUMSA was expelled from KOSATU at the weekend. NUMSA's spokesperson, Castro Gobese.
0: KOSATU's decision to expel NUMSA must be understood for what it is, a well-coordinated Reactionary attack on the organization of workers, an attack on COSATU, an attack on the poor, and an attack on workers. These reactionary forces that have been plotting within the alliance to destroy the unity of COSATU are doing this for their own selfish material interests. This COSATU boardroom struggle is not about workers' interest.
5: And that was the voice of Ivan Jamin, state of a spokesperson of NUMSA Gobese. Ivan James, is the Secretary General of the Labor Union. Moving on ahead, the African Development Bank has approved a $37 million crisis response budget support loan to Madagascar for the financing of its emergency economic recovery program. The loan fails under Pillar 1 window of the transition support facility to which the country became eligible following its classification as a fragile state by the AFDB and the World Bank last year. And this year, the loan aims to address the urgent and priority needs of the Malagasy people who have been marginalised by the protracted political crisis that paralysed the country for five years. Financial indicators: the dollar trading at 11.25 South African rands, at 19.15 Botswana pula's, and 6.28 Zambian kwachas. It's also trading at 0.62 to the British pound and 0.78 to the euro gold is trading at 1171 dollars platinum at 1209 dollars a fine ounce brand crude oil at 83 dollars 73 cents per barrel that's your economics news for this hour
2: Time for us to move on now, let's get our sports from Tamikusa.
0: Thanks for joining us. Let's start with cricket. The South African Proteas All-Rounder JP Dumini has been withdrawn from the upcoming five-match one-day international series against Australia due to a chronic knee injury. Faham Beardin, who is currently in Australia for the T20 International Series, will replace Dumini in the squad. Let's get more from Natli Chamanos.
3: Obviously disappointed. Um, I've always said um, Ireland's quality side, a great defensive side and uh, very good in the set phases and that's why the Six Nations champs. So uh, they really played well tonight. Uh, we have to adapt to uh, the conditions. Although it was quite wet underfoot, the biggest difference was that they used their chances and uh, kept the ball.
0: And now in Soka, the CAF Executive Committee will meet in Cairo tomorrow to discuss Morocco's sanctions as well as reveal their replacement. Morocco has highlighted that they will not host the tournament in January despite CAF taking a strong stance on the fact that they will not change dates. The meeting is set to decide what Morocco's fate will be After they pulled out at the 11th hour All indications have suggested that it will be a lengthy ban Or a hefty fine, And their possibility of hosting the club World Cup championship Could be affected Kefas' decision will be taken into consideration by FIFA So far, Angola and Nigeria have dominated the speculation As countries that want to step in as replacement Ghana Football Association, the GFA, has confirmed that they had chosen former Chelsea and West Ham manager Evram Grant to replace Kwesi Apia, who was sacked after the Black Stars' World Cup debacle. Ghana Football Association president Kwesi Nyantaki says that Grant was the preferred candidate of five whose applications were considered. Ghana have been without a coach since September 12, when Apia was sacked following a turbulent World Cup final in which Ghana failed to advance beyond the group stages. Now, in rugby, South African Springbok coach Hayek Mayer has acknowledged that Ireland were better than them, especially technically, in their 29-15 defeat at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin on Saturday. It was the Springbok's first loss on the Northern Hemisphere since Meyer took over the reins of the national team in 2012 and the first defeat to Northern Hemisphere as well as Meyer's tenure as Springbok coach. Meyer gave credit to Ireland for playing good rugby and making use of their chances.
3: You know, obviously disappointed. Um, you know, I've always said Ireland's um, a quality side, a great offensive side and uh, you know, very good in the set phases and that's why the Six Nations champs. So uh, they really played well tonight. Uh, we have to adapt to uh, the conditions. Although it was quite wet underfoot, the biggest difference was that they, they used their chances and uh, kept the ball.
0: Meanwhile, Springbok captain John de Villa says that the loss against Ireland is a step back for the Springboks, and they will need to work hard to get back into the horse ahead of their World Cup.
6: I also
2: think you need to take everything, uh, you know, into consideration, and also also look at the look at the game holistically. You know, the things we could work on prior to the game, your scrumming, your uh, tactical kicking, your lineouts. We did that well. Um, what we couldn't do was hang on to the to the ball, and I mean that's not a that's not a coaching thing. That's that's basic, you know, grade one rugby, catching and passing. So um, it's not that we played badly. We couldn't catch and pass.
6: The
0: South African pro all-rounder JP Dumini has been withdrawn from the upcoming five-match one-day international series against Australia Q20 injury. Fiam Pertino who is currently in Australia for the T20 international series will replace Dumini in the squad. Nati Jamanos has more.
8: After the second T20 International, the captain JP Duminy did say his team was absolutely blown away by Australia. And it's a complete reversal of fortunes after the first T20 International, where the South Africans dominated the first match against their hosts. But Australia have come back strongly, and now there is all to play for in today's game, with the series level, and of course a one-day international series still to come. The match is to be played in Sydney at Stadium Australia, where South Africa has never played before, and it does have a capacity of 78,000 people and it is a stadium that so far has only hosted T20 internationals. For the South African team there's a chance they may bring in Martian Lange. There's been whisperings that he will be able to get a place in the starting 11 today. Whether or not he will replace Kakisa Rubada still remains to be seen. For Australia it's unlikely they will make any changes to their starting 11 after they seem to get their balance right for the second T20. The match starts at 10.30 South African time.
0: And finally, in tennis, Roger Federer is back in the groove at the ATP World Tour Finals as the six-time champion defeated Milos Raonic, 6-1, 7-6, while Japan's Kei Nishikori made a dream debut with a surprise 6-4, 6-4 victory over Andy Murray yesterday. Chris Powers reports.
1: At 33 and a third, the Roger Federer record keeps on playing. One day, Milos Raonic will blow him away with his raw power, but as long as Federer can read the big Canadian serve, He'll always have a chance. He read it from the start and was merciless in going for the Raonic backhand, the weaker wing. In fact, he went so much for it that he frequently had room on the Raonic forehand wing because the Canadian was so keen to run round his backhand. Raonic got into the match in the second set. He had a couple of break points, one of them a set point at 5-6. But Federer's in good form. These conditions suit him and he moves into a second round robin match against Kanishikori. The Japanese earlier beat Andy Murray, 6-4, 6-4, in a very impressive display, though it threw a slightly unfavourable light on Murray's impressive streak in the last two months. The Briton is clearly not back to the level that saw him win the US Open in Wimbledon two years ago.
0: That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Benjamin Moshatama.
2: That's how we end the today's program. Thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Hey, how do you think we can actually improve the situation of attracting uh, international visitors to the continent? But also, us as Africans supporting other African countries in terms of where we visit as well, in terms of where our holiday destination is. It's holiday time. It's holiday season. It's almost December. Christmas is around us. So, hey, support your continent. Go visit. That uh, uh, Senegal instead of going to uh, New York, man, do something different this year. But uh, let us know your views on today's topic. SMS us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Now that's how we wrap it up. From me, Benjamin Mushadama. Let's God bless.